0: Hey, Dental Associates and New Practice Owners, welcome to the Associates on Fire podcast powered by Practice CFO. This is the podcast that teaches you what you never learned in dental school, the financial side of dentistry. We cover topics from planning for ownership, buying a practice to student loans, taxes, and all things financial for the hungry to learn dental associate. So let's light it up. All right, welcome, everybody. I would like to jump right into this and uh, welcome Josh Summers to our Associates on Fire podcast. I've known Josh Summers for some time now and he runs a dental marketing business called Dental Game Plan. And one thing that I've learned in working with dentists is the need to have a strategy around your effort to reach the marketplace. It doesn't just happen you could sign up for a lot of ppos uh, and have the ppos put uh, put patients in your chair but i don't think that's the style of practice that a hungry eager associate should be targeting sometimes we fall back on that but i don't think it's the ideal practice which means we have to find dent we have to find patients to get them in the chair and marketing is one of the most important elements of a business that I think any business has. And this is particularly true of dentists. So welcome, Josh. I'm really happy to have you on this uh, webinar. I want to start off by talking about the industry from a high level. You have been in the industry for how long? About 10 years?
1: Yeah, about a little over 12. By the way, thank you for having me, Wes. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be on the show and hopefully I can uh, provide some helpful insight.
0: Yeah, I think you will. Knowing knowing you and knowing how our conversations have evolved over time, I I think you and I have been in dentistry for about the same amount of time. I got in dentistry about 2008, 2009 exclusively. You've been working exclusively in dental as well. And so we've been able to observe changes in the industry and that they're happening and they're happening somewhat quickly. And there are challenges in the industry, but there are also tremendous opportunities in the industry as well and so so let me ask you i've shared a lot with uh, associates through our associates on fire program our some of our videos and other podcasts some of the changes that we're seeing and and what our recommendations are but from a marketing vantage point what are you seeing in the industry and how can dentists address these changes particularly young associates
1: well, I think the changes that you're referring to are a lot of consolidation that's happening in the, in the world of dentistry, the DSO type of practice. I mean, I think the individual dentists, the associates that are getting out there to, to get into the marketplace, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to be smart about their marketing. They're going to have to really um, you know, start, hit the ground running and really focus on what their objectives are and who they want to bring into their practice, right? You talked a little bit about PPO and having a ppo uh, agreement or having a hmo agreement and waiting for those companies to put patients in your chair is a really slow way to build your practice so if you're not really thinking about how your marketing is going to affect your practice or if you're not thinking about the strategies then i think that puts you in in a poor position in the marketplace um, to to adapt with the changes that are happening with the consolidations
0: totally agree with that and uh one it's important that dentists understand the financial implications of taking PPO. And PPOs know that they have the upper hand in many ways. And so they sort of dictate fees. And associates, most associates probably know what going UCR rates are for, let's say, a standard crown. It might be around $1,300, $1,400, sometimes a little bit higher, sometimes a little bit lower. But if you're with a Delta PPO plan, you're getting around $600 for that crown, and guess what? Your overhead costs are virtually identical, and so you're getting the uh, you're getting almost half the payment for that treatment, and you still have the the same overhead cost. It's a very very difficult battle to face as a dentist as these rates, these reimbursement rates keep lowering and lowering. And so if dentists could replace, even if they lost 40% of their patients and they maintained 60%, now the stats are it's even higher if they do it right, when they convert to more of a a fee for service practice. But if they can do that, they can work less and they can earn more or they can continue working as much and earn a lot more and just have the the ability to get ahead financially, that's hard for dentists these days with the amount of student loans that they have and all of the debt they have to buy their practice, to finance equipment, maybe do some build-outs, you buy a home, et cetera. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a mountain of debt. And so uh, marketing is one way to go through that conversion process the way that the way the way that I look at it. Now, I think that marketing should be looked at holistically. Can you tell me does a holistic marketing plan look like because there's so many ways you can sort of campaign out there on social media or you do pay per clicks or you do, you know, your website or you do mailers, you have all these different ways to market, what would you could consider to be a comprehensive integrated approach to marketing?
1: Well, I kind of look at the dental marketing space in two different avenues. I look at your internal marketing resource or your internal marketing sources, which are your recalls, your treatment, acceptance, those types of things. Um, And then I look at your external marketing sources. So I think the biggest problem, anybody in dentistry, not just new associates buying practices, but any dental office, the biggest problem that they have is they underestimate the amount of manpower it takes to run a successful marketing campaign, right? So if we want to talk about recall, for example, right, if you have a practice that has two or 3000 patients in it, and your recalls being done haphazardly, and you're making like 20 to 30 phone calls a day on that recall program, you're losing hundreds of patients a year that are going out your back door. And you're getting maybe hundreds of patients through your front door with with new marketing, which is why you see all these plateaus that happen in dentistry, right practices that hit a certain amount of money, and they don't go above that, that that amount doesn't fluctuate or change much more than three to 4% either direction is because they're losing as many patients as they're getting. And so they underestimate the amount of manpower that it takes to continue to keep those patients active and coming into the practice. And then also add more patients on top of that. Because if you think about it, your hygiene should always be expanding, right? Your hygiene days, the amount of hygienists that you have, the longer you're in practice, if you're not expanding your hygiene program, (laughs) then you stagnated your business, right? So looking, right. at it, looking at it from both of those angles, you really have to take into consideration like how do I create a marketing strategy or, or, or program that, that keeps my existing patients coming into my practice and through my doors and then also adds new patients on top of that. So that's kind of the way that I, I approach the dental marketplace is by balancing those t- two sides of the equation.
0: That's a good point. And I've always felt like there's a lot of internal marketing which is the less costly, correct? The less costly marketing is getting people who have already been in your practice back into your practice. And, um, and that's a lot of times overlooked. Now, what specific, let's talk about external marketing. Um, what are the most effective ways to reach new patients?
1: Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of business you have or what kind of business you want to run. Um, I think, I think the, the order of patient quality is your referral patient is always going to be your best patient, right? Then next to that's going to be organic search results. Then it's going to be Google PPC or paid click. If you're looking online and then it's going to be social media is kind of going to be the last one, right? So depending on how you want to grow your practice, you may want to use one or two or all four of those ways to get patients into your practice. Um, and, and when I'm looking at, at, uh, you know, the, the types of marketing, I usually start with what's the most profitable ones that I can bring in right, in, right now into the practice. Like that's where we start. So Google PPC, more specifically emergency patients, because you get an emergency patient in the door, they're vi- very highly motivated to do treatment because they're probably in pain, right? So that gives you a pretty quick ROI on your, on your practice. Whereas you, if you target the general patient that's looking for a cleaning, you may spend more money to bring that patient into the into the door than what you're collecting on a cleaning uh, standpoint. Now, if you're really good at at treatment, uh, looking at the treatment and getting that treatment to uh, convert from a cleaning patient, then that patient could be worth a lot of money to your practice as well. But I basically look at the situation um, and then when you start growing and you start adding practices, obviously you look at regional marketing approaches like radio or TV or um, different internet radios or podcasts that you can use that can regionalize. So there's a lot of really cool things in the marketing space that you can do right now to get patients to come through your doors.
0: Speaking of ROI or return on investment, that's the way I look at marketing in a practice is it is an investment Dentists, please don't look at your marketing as a phone bill or even as your rent it's not a fixed administrative cost to keep your doors open this is how you sustain your business by getting new patients in the door and new patients are typically the ones who have the most treatment that's needed and then to bring them back time and time again that is a that that is marketing and that's that's the life of your practice, and that and that is what marketing is, and so uh, I think the perspective on marketing is very important. A lot of times I find dentists will view marketing as another expense on the profit and loss statement. How can I keep that expense low? And don't get me wrong, we don't want to throw money in the wind. And marketing is sometimes a, in my experience, Josh, you can. You can correct me on this, but my experience with dentists is it's a little bit of trial and error experience because, as you mentioned, some strategies work in different regions that don't work in other regions, and I've had people tell me this uh, this marketing approach worked fantastic, and somebody else said it uh, it fell flat for for their practice, so. Um, but, but on that subject of ROI, uh, what do you Josh believe should be the return on investment? So if they place a dollar into a marketing effort, what do you think should be the return on that dollar by way of collections?
1: Well, I think that also depends a little bit on your marketplace, but I did want to bring up something. I thought of something when you were talking just now. And I also, I also think that, People that get into marketing, they expect that the first month they're going to see that ROI. And that typically doesn't happen because in dentistry, we see patients, we treat patients, or we schedule treatment, uh, pay patients for treatment the next visit around. So what we end up seeing a lot of times, and when I take on dentists, I tell them this all the time. I say, hey, look, the first month, look to break even. You know, look to push your marketing, push your marketing, however you want to do it, look to break even. But by the third month, you should be seeing three, four, five to one ROIs. If you're, if you're getting those patients in, you're getting them to accept treatment, then those should be your return on investment. Some people see way higher than that. Some people see a little bit lower than that. But ultimately, it depends on the marketplace that you're in, the quality of patient that walks through your door, which is a big, which is a big um, challenge in marketing. Anytime you put your marketing message out there, you're going to get the people that don't have two pennies to rub together. And you're going to get the guy that, that wants to spend $10,000 on treatment today because he'll do it in cash. So there's a lot of variety that you're going to get walking through the doors anytime you start putting a promotion out there into the world.
0: You know, one of the struggles dentists have as they go and start to invest more money into marketing is how to track whether that money is being used. So, so I'm going back a little bit more to this term, return on investment. And... um And some doctors will say, okay, well, if I get $2 in collections for every $1 I spend, then that's a good thing. Well, you have to remember that that dollar of collections is going to come with all of the overhead related, or those $2 of collections, all of the overhead related to it. So, so you're probably looking, tell me if I'm wrong, but probably looking for somewhere around four to six as a return on your marketing dollar. Is is that reasonable?
1: Yeah, I, I totally think that's reasonable. And the longer that you're doing your marketing programs, for example, right? Organic search results are not going to kick in in the first month. But the longer that you're doing it, the higher your ROI is going to get on that because it's pretty it's pretty inexpensive. If you look at how you spend your money, it's pretty inexpensive to to spend your money on organic marketing. So your ROI is going to get higher and higher and higher the longer you're doing that. And the more keyword terms you're picking up that's actually generating traffic to your website. The other ones have let a little bit less but as you as you compile them together you should see that four five six or six to one roi but the thing that you also need to remember is that if you're good at retaining patients you're going to see a much longer term roi and also patient referrals from that patient that make marketing even much higher than that four or five or six to one roi that you're talking about you know you get one patient that brings their family in And now you're seeing huge amounts of roi from that one marketing spend and then if you get one patient that stays with you for five years let's say you spent two to three hundred dollars on that patient well the average value of a patient's 5700 over five years right so now you have three hundred dollars that you spent fifty hundred fifty seven hundred dollars that you made what is that 20 26 22 to one roi you know on that patient so there's there's a lot of ways of looking at this, and you know the numbers as well as anybody. Uh, so you can you can attest to some of that. You know, when you keep patients for a long time, the value of that patient's pretty good.
0: That is true. It's not just a function of okay, over 12 months I returned X on my marketing dollar. It is a function of time. I mean, if you have a patient who stays for 20 years, and maybe they have family that they bring in during that period of time it's almost incalculable what that return is on that patient. And and sometimes you just have to see it in a longer timeline to understand the value of, of what a marketing dollar can do if it's spent right. Now, a lot of dentists are well-known, as people like me, CPAs, were well-known for being DIYers, the do-it-yourselfers. Why? Because, well, I got uh, some extra time, I can go ahead and do my own website on square or I can do you know my own you know my own marketing or, or whatever that is and um, and there's a there's a strong inclination for for associates, because the fact that they have mountains of student loan and they're just sort of trying to get buying really get started, where can I save a dollar is really top of mind. And then they step into a practice and they have all these expenses already and they're worried about they're worried about uh, spending money. To what extent should dentists plan on using their own time, do you believe? In other words, how involved does the dentist need to be? If they were to hire you or a marketing company, how involved or engaged do they have to be in the process of marketing? Or can they simply delegate virtually all of it?
1: I, I, I think that the dentist can either be in pretty involved or not involved at all. It depends on what kind of person they are. If they want to just see patients and, and be active in their craft and sitting in front of uh, patients every month. For example, I just started a practice in Houston. We saw 67 new patients in the first month. So basically, there's there are a lot of things that you can do in your marketing space or you can hand that over to somebody and you can, you can say, hey, do this for me and plan in your budget hey i need 3 to 6 months when i'm taking out that loan i'm looking at how much money do i need for marketing and let's put that in the loan and make sure that it's that there's enough because again coming back to my a point earlier is that far too often dentists underestimate the amount of time effort and energy that is needed towards a campaign to get it to work right how much manpower do i need so i'll take this example just cuz it's fresh in my mind we had probably 800 leads in that first month for that dentist, and we book, and we had six. We booked 200 patients. We had 67 that came into the office. Out of that six, out of that uh, 67 patients, we had to call those patients over and over and over and over again to get them on the phone. Out of out of all those leads, so it's a lot of work to do that. And if you're going to be one of those guys that says, "Hey, I'm going to do that myself," well, you better get you better, you better get real comfortable on the phone because. There's a lot of things that need to happen in a follow-up process. And the way that you look at how your follow-up process is, well, do I call, do I email, do I text? What do I do and in which order to have the best success with my communication cycle? So
0: yeah. I've become a, a, a believer in using technology to automate some of that. Now, gosh, there's still a lot of work in marketing. Technology sure does uh, help uh, the process be more efficient these automated client communication systems. There's a lot of them out there, automated text reminders, automated reviews have, have really helped. I personally believe that doctors as much as they delegate the marketing, I think when they're dealing with patients directly, particularly if they want to move to more of a fee for service style practice, they have to build strong relationships with their patients. If they don't, and as soon as they switch from PPO to fee for service, or go out of network, they're gonna lose a lot of patients. But if they know them by name, and they know a little bit about their life and their context, maybe their family, and if they were to give a personal phone call to that patient at the time of moving to fee-for-service, there's a high likelihood that that patient is going to stay. But I also think with case acceptance, which is a, Um, which is a huge area of opportunity uh, in dental, is that there's a lot of treatment that is presented and unaccepted that is just sitting on the books. And I feel dentists, as a part of their comprehensive marketing plan is, which isn't just getting people in the door, it's also closing on case acceptance, getting patients to say yes, the full funnel from finding, bringing them in, getting them treated um, and getting them to say yes, and then doing the treatment and collecting on it. All of that to me is sort of one big business strategy. Marketing flows all throughout it, but is that they should contact those patients and ask them uh, about the treatment they presented or text them just a personal touch, especially those bigger cases, I think is is really important. I wanna go back though and touch on Um, I love that,
1: by the way, if I can get a dentist to do that, just so you know, like if I can get a dentist, like post-treatment is amazing for new patients, Uh, calling the patient for post-treatment, sending a little text message yourself. I think all of those things are really great. The personal touch from the dentist is a huge valuable thing for sure. I know.
0: And if I would just budget into your time, dentists, that... After at the end of the day, you just plan and stay in for another 15 minutes and you make you make a few phone calls Um, and you you have a list. It can be a manual list in your office or or on an Excel spreadsheet. Just track people that you want to contact. Those personal connections will dramatically increase the probability that they will say yes to whatever you recommend for them clinically. All right, let's go over to reviews for a sec, Josh. Um, We're here in Southern California and yelp is a a, is a dominant player in the review space for dentists and there are what are called micro review sites which you can sort of automate these through a marketing company uh, or an automated client communication system uh, like revenue well or lighthouse 360 there's a number of these demand force the micro sites don't really from my understanding increase your uh, the search results how searchable you are when somebody searches dentists in your area but the google reviews do if i'm correct and even yelp reviews will now yelp has always been a challenge for dentists and i don't mean to uh bad mouth yelp however yelp will hide so many really good reviews and then they will contact you and ask you to pay uh, for their advertising fees and they claim that by paying it doesn't affect their algorithm that this that displays the reviews yeah and so a lot of dentists will have great i mean even for my own company practice cfo we have like thirty five star reviews and only seven of them are showing most of those weren't solicited i think i had one or two were asked for a review but pretty much all of them were just natural and yet Yelp hides all of those, and then they ask me, of course, to sign up and pay for their monthly service of 500 bucks a month or 1,000 bucks a month. And a lot of patients here in California and certain parts of the country really use Yelp. In other parts of the country, I found they don't, but but here they do. Um, How important is Yelp and review sites in general, and what can dentists do to approach those effectively?
1: I think I think they're extremely important, even though some in some ways you feel like you're being held <laughs> by the mafia. Right. Against the yeah. wall. Uh, but but they are super important because people use them and they trust them. You know, Yelp is a very trusted reviews platform that um, that that basically has dominated this space. So you have to play their game. It's like Google. Right. If you want to be visible to people who are searching for a dentist, You have to play google's game well you also have to play yelp's game in this particular scenario and the way that you do that is yeah you only have six or seven showing right but you have to continually ask patients to post reviews because the only way those reviews show is if somebody's a yelper right so if they're active on yelp they're doing things on yelp and you don't know that from a practice standpoint so you got to keep encouraging patients to post reviews on yelp put signs up in the office just like you do at the end of an appointment you're you, you always say right at the end of the appointment you say goodness wes you know you are you're such a great patient we love to have more patients just like you so one of the best compliments you can give is if you send you know a friend or a family member our way right so that's a constant thing that we always say at the end of a at the end of a uh, uh at the end of a treatment but the one thing that we have to add to that now these days is say, hey, you know, we would love to hear what your feedback was. Please, you know, feel free to jump on Yelp, look us up, and and post a review. Um, there's ways to nudge that along even further. Send it in a text message. Use uh, these various different programs that you're talking about. But Yelp really doesn't want you to solicit reviews, right? If you end up solicit re- soliciting reviews, they'll block your account. So you have to be you have to be uh, pretty. Uh, strategic about the way that you go out there and you get people and patients to post reviews on Yelp. But I do think it's really important for sure.
0: Yeah, I've ended up just telling dentists it's a numbers game. And you just got to plan that 50%, possibly more of your reviews are going to be hidden on Yelp. But I would be targeting a couple hundred reviews on Yelp over time. And if you've only got 80 of them showing, well, 80 let's say four and a half to five star reviews, that's pretty dang good. And most people accept the fact that there's going to be a bad apple in there. There's just always going to be somebody who gives a sour review for some, for some, for some reason. And maybe there, there's a legitimate purpose behind that. Maybe there's a mistake made and or maybe it's just that person. But if you can dilute it out by having a lot of great reviews, then the outcome is really beneficial. For my clients, my big clients here in San, in San Diego and Southern California, they all have a ton of Yelp reviews. They just they just do. How important, though, are Google uh, reviews for a dental practice?
1: I think you, that you can talk about reviews just in general across the, across the spectrum as being really important. Obviously, Google and Yelp are going to sit at the top, but Facebook reviews are also super important. And they're important because they show uh, some social proof that helps. that's part of Google's algorithm for SEO results, right? So even those smaller micro sites, basically those micro sites are still important to have reviews on even though they're not as important as Yelp or Google because what Google does is they give what's called a page rank, which means how important is this site to the rest of the world? Well, of course, Yelp and Google are more important than those micro sites are, but they still are a factor to your overall social representation on the web, if that makes sense. So Google uses it as a factor for your ranking. So any type of reviews that you can get that are positive um, out there and the number of stars that you can get, those are all uh, important. I would focus on those top three though. If it were me, it would be Google, Facebook, and Yelp.
0: Good content. Let me ask about the website. Yeah. And all of those, review sites and Google searches and and pay-per-clicks, that's all to drive them then to the website, which eventually drives them to call you, which then you have to have a plan around the scripting or on how your front office answers that phone call. There's something that I think is often neglected. Every doctor should know, I believe exactly how that phone is answered and what is said, and there should be rehearsals on that. And then of course they get in the patient, now how do you talk to them in the chair and how do you get them, to accept treatment that they need and then how do you bill and collect You got that whole funnel the website is one important aspect because my belief is that's where you're starting to build credibility before ever having met them yeah and some of my favorite websites are from clients where they'll have a video on the home page and it will almost be like a short bio of the doctor and it'll be the doctor maybe maybe a minute, 30 seconds on their background, maybe their their, their their mother or father was a dentist and how they've really grown up in dentistry and how they love to practice dentistry and oral health matters. And then they transition into their office and they might interview them uh, in front of some patients and some nice music in the background, but just something really personal like that. And then a website that's just obviously uh, clear and explains the, the treatments and, and all of that. What constitutes, my question for you, Josh, is what constitutes a really good dental website and how important is video on that website?
1: I think video is uh, crucial. Like these days, video is really important to a website. It's really important to getting out the message. Like you said, Uh, getting to know that person stories sell, right? So if you're, if you're telling somebody a story, they're probably going to listen to it. And they're probably going to have some affinity for you by listening to that story. So it's really important. But I want to take it a little bit deeper because uh, it's not just about a website. These days, it's very, very technical to get a website set up that will actually rank. Google just changed their algorithm to what's called mobile first. So speed is like the mo- one, of them, one of the most important factors to a website these days and most people don't even know like how you know what's speed right what's speed factor well you can look up google page insights right or speed test google speed test and it will pull up a tool for for you to look at you put your url in there and then google tells you how well it it loads on their platform and it's really important that the speed of your site is is good for mobile devices because 80% of their search results are done on mobile that's why they they went with a mobile first algorithm So, um, yeah, websites are important, but for most people, they're just brochures. They're just sitting up there waiting for somebody to type it in. But if you really want to, if you really want to use it as part of your marketing strategy, then you've got to consider the technical parts of what a website is. That's why Squarespace, you brought up Squarespace earlier. Squarespace uses a ton of extra code because it's a builder, right? It's a code builder. So you, it uses a bunch of code so that you can build your own website, but that code is then dumped into the website. And it takes really long to load because there's extra code there so um, definitely need to have somebody that knows what they're doing when they build that website so that you can have it set up for then seo or search engine results
0: now a lot of dentists will opt for these stock sites and there's some there's some dental companies out there who will do um do your dental website and they basically will have a portfolio of sites and you can choose from it, then they sort of make the the theme consistent with your color theme and and put your name on there. And I've seen a lot of dental sites where it's this, I immediately know when I see it, that it's from this particular company because because it looks exactly the same. And a lot of the wording is even the same on there as well. Now, those are typically less expensive. They might be around $3,000, $3,500 or so to to get those, and you can go live within minutes, it feels like. Uh, How how should dentists avoid those more off-the-shelf sites, Uh, or do you believe they should invest more into a custom site? And if they do, will that custom site be more um, conforming to uh, Google's mobile, why did you call it mo- mobile first? Mobile first algorithms. algorithm, yeah.
1: Um, so basically, uh, that's, a, it's a, that's a really tough question because the websites have gotten so complicated. Google has made SEO more complicated over the years. It used to be really easy to get your site to rank, right? Just throw some backlinks out there and your site's going to pop up there. But what's happened over the years is Google has made this extremely complicated because they want you to spend money on their paid platform, Right. So their strategy is, let's make this really complicated so nobody wants to do it. And then they'll just spend money with us, right? That's kind of been their strategy and it's worked probably fairly well. But if you're going to do a website, um, there are several factors that you need to look, look into. And sometimes those templated sites can work, you know, I mean, depending on which one you're looking at. But I look at the conversion factors, right? Does it support live chat? Does it have video content on it? Is there, is there um, calls to action throughout the site? Do you have landing page options? Those are the types of things that I'm looking for from a conversion standpoint. And then you have to look at it from a technical standpoint. Does it load fast? Um, how, many, how many words are on each page? Does it have the meta tags and meta titles and the meta descriptions in there? So there's a lot of things that go into building a website properly so that will actually pay benefits to your practice through organic search results. So I, 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 I think while well, I think that, that if you're just getting started out and you need something quick and fast and dirty, okay, fine, just go get the brochure, right? But if you really want to use it as part of your marketing strategy, which I think is a good idea, again, a, a, an organic traffic patient is your second best type of patient next to a referral. It just is. So if you want to use it as part of your strategy, then you need to dig deeper in terms of what you need to do and how it functions.
0: Yeah. You know, I think, um, gosh, I just can't exp- when I think of marketing, uh, I, I sometimes being a CPA, go back to the PL. and I, our P and a practice CFO for our clients have a specific section for marketing and under marketing. We have different, uh, methods of marketing from online marketing to, to mailers, to, um, some website investments, things, things like that. So we can see where, where's the dollar going, uh, in marketing and in the past, I, I've never really had a good budget. What's the budget that a dentist should set up for marketing? Sometimes I hear it depends on your capacity. If your chairs are are open, well, then it might be six or seven percent. Heck, it could be ten percent. Yeah. If you think of big companies, big companies spend large amounts of their budget in marketing. Huge. A, a lot. I mean, they'll easily spend ten, fifteen percent. In fact, we have a. Um, we have a, a client who does a lot of all on fours. It's a very, very, very large practice. And this client spends $250,000 a month yeah. in marketing, but it's also a, a business that's doing twelve thirteen million $13 million a year. Um, and I would rather have a practice that has a profit margin of 25% that is doing $3 million a year than a practice that's doing $600,000 a year with a 50% profit margin. Yeah. And of course a lot of that is a personal preference the style and size of a practice you want to be and in, into but what's your answer to that question and forgive me for asking it as as you know as the accountant as the CPA but what what budget what percentage of collections should doctors plan on allocating for their marketing um, expenses?
1: Now, I've had this discussion so many times, so it's a great question, though. Um, and it, it really depends on where you're sitting. Like, obviously, a new practice, <laughs> they don't have any collections, right? So their, their expenses right. are going to be pretty large. It's going to be way over what they're probably collecting, or it's going to be about the same what they're collecting, at least in that first month. Okay. So um, I think that if you're looking at it from an established practice, the larger practices, the larger DSOs will um, uh, be around like 7%, eight of their of their budget. Um, some, some of the ones that I work with want to stay around 8%, but they're okay going up to nine or 10% as long as they're expanding the, the collections. Um, and then there are other people that are, that, that are, uh, you know, going up to 15%, but I'd say between eight and 10% is probably pretty standard. If you're looking to grow, if you're looking to kind of maintain where you're at and just Hey, I'm happy with what, where life is at, then you can probably dip down into the five, four or 5% range but overall I think if you're trying to push it and looking to grow then I think it's probably more like 8 to
0: 10%. Yeah, and I think that doctors need to avoid this concept which I think about a lot called marginal thinking, which is the belief that it's okay to ignore a ignore something because the effect of ignoring it feels harmless today. That might be a simple example would be if I don't go exercise today, it's in the you know in the bigger picture it's not going to hurt anything. But in the bigger picture, you do that a lot, and in the aggregate, it really, really hurts. Well, I think marketing is a little bit like that too. You could get to a point where you say, I'm, I'm doing plenty of dentistry, this is about how busy I want to be, but every dentist loses some patience. And if you're doing a good job as a clinician, you're fixing a lot of teeth, you may not need or have as much clinical work to do down the road. And so if you wait, if you wait to then start marketing at that point when your chairs are starting to be empty, then, as you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, it, there's a time delay from the point of marketing to seeing that play itself out in, in your chairs. Yeah. So I feel like there should just be a constant um, attention to marketing, that, that it can't be neglected. Also too if you're trying to convert to something that's more fee for service maybe you're wanting to get more cosmetic work done or you're wanting to do more uh, high high dollar treatments and you may need to market aggressively for those types of things and and I would plan accordingly uh, in in the budget now I would watch it because if it never really translates into people in the chair then that's money that you could have been funding a 401k plan or You know buying a new house with or or whatnot so you do need to be mindful of it and we can't just be totally hands-off as business owners and as dentists yeah but i do think there needs to be a continual budget for that well let me ask you one final question josh yeah which is and we'll end on this given all of these changes we started off the podcast with this a little bit that there's a lot of consolidation in the industry right now and i think over the next 15 to 20 years that'll continue and you and i have talked about how Uh, the private practice needs to somehow get some of the benefits of scale that larger DSOs and larger practices have. And so we've talked about, you know, what, what can they outsource uh, so that private practices can sort of get that aggregate value uh, on, on, on different services and, and products. And, um, and then of course the insurance companies and all the pressure they're putting with lowering their fees continually, particularly Delta, so um and and then the student loans that are mounting and and associates seeing their balance going up because they're on an income driven repayment plan and they're paying less than the interest and and the debt is mounting should here's my question: should dentists fear practice ownership today as they come out of dental school, and why or why not?
1: I would say no i mean the 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 re- reality of the situation is is that there's a lot of consolidation, but That kind of gives you an advantage, right? (laughs) Because not a lot of people want to go to a DSO. Let's just be honest, right? I'm not I'm not the kind of guy that goes to a DSO, right? I don't want to go, even though I work for a lot of DSOs and I know that there's a lot of great care in those practices. But I like seeing the same guy every time I go into my office, right? My dental office. And I like the personal relationship that I have with my dentist. And I probably won't leave that dentist because of that relationship. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity as things consolidate, private practice is going to have advantages to that. They can give personalized care better than a DSO can and they can do some things to to stay up. Like for example, I'm pushing all my single practice owners to to externalize their call portion of their practice. And we're putting them in Vegas here where I have my call center. We're putting them in Vegas and they're making all their recall calls. They're all their treatment calls and all their marketing calls. Because when somebody walks into the practice, the thing that I want to see out of my practices is that personal attention, right? Somebody walks into the doors, that person stands up, they greet them. They don't sit back down and get on a phone call and book a patient. They go over, they greet them, they work with them. They talk, Maybe they fill out their forms together with them for those new patients. But it's a really personalized care. And that's one of the things that I think is a huge advantage to these DSOs because they, they cannot provide that just by the model, by the structure, you can't provide that personalized care that you can't provide that one-on-one care.
0: I think that dentists, private practice dentists are going to decide over time, sort of as a collective group, what business services they shouldn't focus on, that they should outsource and what business services they should retain in-house. And the ones in-house are really the ones that are all about the patient experience, and creating that connection with the patient great comments josh i just want to say thank you for being on on the show my Uh, pleasure yeah Yeah. thanks for having me man i'm sure down the road we'll probably do another one as well so thanks for being a part of our uh, our associates on fire podcast
1: awesome thank you very much i appreciate it